the Sunday before Christmas. Hmm. What a wonderful time of the year to adore the radical gift. These past two Sundays, if you've been here, have been about grasping the, the God at work preparing of the gift, as well as the God at work presentation of the gift. And yet, I think it's appropriate to ask two questions. So what's all wrapped up in the whole manger gift thing anyway? I mean, we've kind of started from this big picture of looking at what's been preparing it, what's been around the presenting it. Now we're coming in on the gift itself, and, and it's okay to ask, so what's the big deal about it? And in fact, what's the so big deal about it that I should actually, as we've just been singing about, that I should adore it? What does that mean? Well, one of the cool things about questions like that is God allows us to ask them, and God has answers for them. Um, so let's go. Let's go to the power source. Let's go to the instruction manual. Grab your Bibles, and let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, your New Testament, towards the end of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should have some folks coming around here with a Bible. We'd love for you to borrow. We're big about the Bible around here because it is God's Word. And here's what we're going to kind of do. I'm going to use this. uh, We're going to saturate ourselves in a text here today. Colossians chapter 1. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's not like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John Uh, that talks about the actual birth of Christ. Well, we are in this uh, today talking about the radical power of Christ. In other words, why adore him? Why be paying attention to him? Colossians chapter 1. Hey, let uh, let me pray. In fact, would you do this? Would you just stand with me this morning as we pray to get started? I know that's kind of awkward with your Bibles on your lap, but would you just stand? And let's just stand and pray. Oh, God, we're here together to dig into your word. What an awesome week this is because it's all about you. May we make it that way. And I pray our time right here, right now, God, that you would help us just to be reminded or to help us to understand why it's such a big deal. What's wrapped up in that manger? We're here to hear your words. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Let me set some context for Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing it, but he's actually writing on behalf of himself and Timothy. He's writing to Christ followers in the city of Colossae. Uh, Now, they're in the city of Colossae at the time. There's all kinds of heresy that was kind of going around and being wondered about. Here's three of the, the, the heretical thinking ideas that were going on. Number one was there was, a, there was a denial of the humanity of Jesus Christ. I mean, actually, they were denying that he was human. That's kind of opposite side of things for a lot today. But it, and the reason for that was because anything of matter, anything of any kind of mass was viewed as evil. So Jesus Christ could not have been a man in the flesh because anything of matter was viewed as evil. That was one of the things. Another was a denial of the whole opposite, a denial of the divinity of Christ. He could not have been God. That is just too radical. That couldn't be the case. He was more like a lower spirit being. He wasn't God. A third one was denial of the work of Christ on the cross as sufficient. 
It was kind of like you needed to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and, and, and surrender your life to him out of that, and, but that wasn't enough. You also needed to have some kind of superior knowledge or some kind of secret knowledge, or you had to have some kind of mystical experience because just you know head knowledge or knowledge of something isn't enough about him. You, Christ isn't enough. And that was kind of going on as well. Well, that's a background setting as you read. We're not studying the book of Colossians. I'd get way more into it if we were. But that's some background as to why we're going to be, when we read the text we're reading, why he, Paul is talking the way that he is. Uh, a second thing on context here is Paul writes like a lawyer. And I don't say that with grand love. Sorry, lawyers. But in my business days, I used to have come to Jesus moments with lawyers all the time. And the reason for it was because they don't write like humans. They write with semicolon after semicolon after semicolon. And it's like, can you just write it so that I can understand it? Because after all, I'm paying. Okay, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here. I have some issues. But here's the interesting thing. Paul is writing in many ways like a lawyer here. Why do I say that? I say that because verses 3 through 8 in your Bible, that's all in the Greek, one sentence. Verses 9 through 17, one sentence. By the way, do you have a paragraph in between verses 14 and 15? Listen, that's right in the middle of a sentence. Also in it, the verses 18 through 20 is one sentence in the Greek. We have 11 sentences for what Paul wrote for three. No, I'm not saying what we're doing is totally manipulating. I'm just saying this is how we think. The importance of this is this. His thought flow continues through. Sentences have a tendency to stop thought and to start a new thought. All of these areas are flowing together in a continual sentence thought. It's just important for us to know. So let's start in verse 9. Okay, you there? Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, here we go. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge, filled with the insight of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I don't have time to dig too deep in these beginning couple of verses here, but I got to get some, a few things out on the table because it's just awesome for what we're going to be looking at. Here's what it is. What is Paul and Timothy doing? They're saying that they're praying for them. The prior sentence before this, the verses 3 through 8, it's all about he's, he's just so thankful for them. Now he's letting them know that we are continually praying for you. What are they praying? That they would be totally filled up. It's this. It's not a quarter filled up. It's not partway filled up. It's not halfway filled up. Not three quarters, not seven eighths. Paul is saying, I am praying that you become the kind of people that are totally filled up. I want you to be filled up people. Filled up with what? And he says, I'm praying that you'd be filled up people with knowledge. Yeah, a whole bunch of eggheads walking around. Wait a second. But he, I want to note, in this knowledge, he is saying knowledge. I am praying that you're filled with knowledge. Knowledge is critical. Knowledge is important. And in fact, the form of the Greek word that's used here is not just general knowledge. It has an emphatic uh, uh, tense to it in that it's really saying, a, I'm praying that you have a deep-rooted knowledge. 
not just surface. This isn't jeopardy knowledge. This is a deep rooted knowings. Knowing what? Look at the text. Knowing God's will. God's will. I'd love to spend the time there. Do I buy the red car or the blue car? What's God's will for me? We so shrink that term down into nothingness meaning. What is God's will? God's will is is this. That we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Savior and we live for him. That's what God's will is. That's it. Let's call it making decisions on these, or the red car, the blue car. But I will tell you this, the gospel is behind that decision. Because what's the hard issue going on? What's the financial situation going on? Listen, here's the thing. We have been called to know God's will. And what is God's will? It's right here. This is God's will. This is God's will for you and I today. And Paul is praying, I am praying that you are filled up. I love this word, saturated with it. We'll come back to that word here in just a minute. So Paul's praying, and Timothy's praying, you be filled up with the knowledge of his will. And where does that knowledge come from? It comes from the word, uh, saturated. <laughs> we'll get there. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, so as, in other words, why? Why should I be someone that's saturated, filled to the brim with the knowledge of God's will? Uh, here's why. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You get that? This isn't about being an egghead on Jeopardy. This isn't about being an egghead on spiritual jeopardy. This is that life changes. Life is completely different. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. Oh, my word. Hey, folks, so often at Christmas, Christmas just becomes like, (laughs) Jesus was born in that cool. He was born in a little manger, and there was a beam on him, too, when he was born. And there was a drummer boy who was there as well. Now, I'm kind of purposely exaggerating the negative side of it, but Paul is praying this. I want to illustrate. Paul is praying that you and I would be saturated with God's truth. Now, If this is life, okay, this is just all the stuff of life that's going on, things we have involved in our life. Now, this sponge is me, is you. Now, a dry sponge applied to life isn't really, it's just going to like move it around. It's not going to do anything. Paul is not praying that we would be dry sponges. Are we out with that? Okay, good. We're out with that. Now, he's also not praying that we would be dabbled. You know, just dabbled in a little bit of God's knowledge. In other words, I I go to church on Sundays, and I get to know a little bit about Jesus. And then, you know, and then, wow, look at the impact of that. I'm just going to tell you, Paul's not praying about that. Look at this. What is Paul praying about? This is what Paul is praying about. 
that you and I would be the kind of people, verse 9, that are saturated. I mean, we're just saturated in truth. Sorry, choir. (laughs) But this is what's being talked about. We're just saturated in God's truth. That's saturated. But it doesn't stop there because when it's left here, it's just knowledge. It's supposed to be applied to life. That's what Paul and Timothy are praying for. We got it? Okay. Nick is freaking out on me. Where's the other towel? Oh, well, it's all right. It's only you that gets electrocuted. (laughs) Okay? That's what Paul is praying. Now, Doug, what does this have to do with Christmas? This is what it has to do with Christmas, because look at the rest of the text. We're going to take a look here at six declarations of Christ, because here's the thing. Paul is, in essence, saying, be like that, and then what does he talk to about next? What does he talk about next? Get this, Jesus Christ. He goes right to the source and the core of it all, and it's all about high power. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is power wrapped up in that baby in a manger. What kind of power? Let's look. We're just going to hit these six. Oh, these are so cool. Aren't these cool? Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Verse 14, 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Number one, Jesus Christ is the redeemer. Jesus Christ is the redeemer. It's interesting. He, in the beginning of verse 13, is referring to the father, by the way. When you follow the antecedent, and this is all one sentence, it's referring to the father. Now, what does the father do? He delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of light. This is talking about actually the father at this point. And I want for you to understand, the word that's used here for this transfer, it's not a slow, gradual movement transfer. It's not like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. It's talking about this. Listen, there is a point in time where you get transferred from the domain of darkness, and bam, you're transferred over to the kingdom of the sun. It's not this slow, I'm getting more spiritual. I'm getting more spiritual. I'm kind of getting there. I'm working my way. That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about the Father is involved in the whole thing. Verse 14, in whom, into the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. What's the source of our transfer? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the redemption source. Put it this way. He's the king of the kingdom. And we have an entrance problem. That's called sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, so, but is it God loving? Well, God is loving. But Habakkuk 1.13 is a verse that tells us the idea that it says that but your eyes are too pure, you cannot tolerate wrong. All have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. And that, because God is holy and righteous, out of that it means there's an entrance problem into his kingdom. But here's the cool thing. The king has provided the opportunity to be allowed into the entrance. The king himself took care of the problem. The king of the kingdom took care of the problem. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Transferred, kabam, boom, made in. 
I want to tell you, someone who can be able to forgive the sin and be the redeemer source of it all, that's power. And there is no human on earth that can take care of your sin or my sin. And by the way, did you notice in the text, the very end, the forgiveness of sins? We could camp on that for a long time. Maybe you need to camp on that this week. I just want for you to know, when you come to the place to where you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, your debt bill has been paid in full. Paid in full. Yeah, but Doug, I don't really feel very forgiven. Wait, wait a second. I understand that. Because you know what? Full forgiveness isn't fair. And I know what it's like to be someone, and you know what it's like to be someone who's like, man, I don't feel forgiven. But let me tell you, let's go back to verse 9 through 12. Saturated in truth. Truth tells me forgiven. And even though I don't feel like it at times, the fact of the matter is saturated in and forgiven. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the testimony. God has given you eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. That's the kind of knowledge, deep-rooted. It changes how I think and how I live. I just have to ask this at this first point. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Redeemer, have you driven the stake and surrendered your life to Christ? I'm not talking about some additional spiritual trophy on your shelf. I'm not talking about a golden ticket to be able to get to the kingdom. I'm talking about, as the Bible talks about, repent and turn and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Be forgiven, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Last week after the second service, a gentleman came up and said, Pastor, he's waiting for a while to talk. And he just said, Pastor, this is all exact words. I need to be saved. That's cool. And Karen and I and he and his wife went in the theater. He walked in. A man of the domain of darkness. He walked out of the theater, child of the kingdom of the sun. There's power in that birth. There's power in that birth because it redeems. Uh, Jesus Christ is the redeemer. Second, Jesus Christ is the image. Look at verse 15. Who is this guy? Why do we adore him? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, uh, image means likeness. It's like what that is, that's what it's like. Uh, now, uh, so often we, we kind of view it like image, like a, a picture image, uh, you know, like a painting. Like here's a painting of that thing. So the painting is, but I just want to say this, that's, uh, you know, every illustration never falls short when you're trying to explain like the Trinity, Okay, the egg, the water, all, at some point in time it all falls apart. But I do want to say it helps us to grasp some things. But here's an error with thinking about Jesus Christ as an image. There's no life in the painting. The painting is just a dead piece of cardboard or whatever they make paintings backing out of. 
It's not the same as the trees. It's not the same as the dirt on the road and the grass. Uh, Maybe I'll just for illustration purposes, maybe it's more like this. Jesus Christ is the image of the Father. I I tried to find triplets, but I couldn't because of the Godhead. But that's really what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is like the Father. Uh, Theologically, we call it, they have ontologically, they are unique. In other words, they have each of them, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, each have unique tasks, unique things that they do. But they're one and the same. This word here that's being used is saying that Jesus Christ is God, yet unique as the second person of the Trinity. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Just go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read. That's God. Second person of the Trinity. Number three, Jesus Christ is the firstborn. Verse 15, the latter half. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, this is really an interesting statement because the first time we see it, we, we, we read it and we think that, well, well, so he was born. In fact, many who deny the deity of Christ use this verse and verses like this that are referring back saying, see, he was born. God can't be born Now, let me uh, clarify the word that's used here. Yes, at times in Greek, at the time of the writing of the scriptures, and at times in the Bible, the same word is referring to birth order. But most of the time, most of the time, the word is referring to that which is superior, that which is to higher in rank. The word prototokos, firstborn. Then you add this uh, position rank idea. You look at the context. The context is just said right before it that Jesus Christ is God. We're about to get next to the context saying that he is the creator. It's like he's born first. He's the oldest kid born. I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't fit the context as well. It's very clear what Paul is saying here. Jesus Christ has first position over all of creation. Jesus Christ is the firstborn, exalted in rank over all creation. You look at all creation that's there, and it's like, he, he trumps it. Not because he came out of it, but because he... Well, let's go to the next one, number four. Jesus Christ is the creator. I want to tell you what, folks. This is the one for me that just blows my brains out. Okay, it really does. This is the one that talking about saturating and getting down to the point of who is wrapped up, why adore this baby, this is the one. Verse 16 and 17. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Get out of here. There's no way that can be true. It either is or it isn't. (laughs) For by him, everything was created. All of it, not part of it. Everything. Do you know that? The baby wrapped in the clothes, wrapped in the manger, Created everything. Do you know that? 
Or have you always pictured that it's like, literally, this is where I say ontologically with the Godhead. I thought that was God the Father who did that. No, that was the Son. Jesus Christ created everything that we, you and I, see. Doug, you're off the wall. No, that's what Scripture says. And it's either true or a lie. And if it's a lie, let's just throw the whole thing out. Let's not pick pieces. But we come back and look at this. He has the full creating power to create it. All the heaven stuff, all the earth stuff, bam, he created it. All the visible stuff, all the invisible stuff, bam, he created that. All the world leaders, thank you. He created that. All the world powers, he created all of them. Uh, all of the world dominions. Listen, all of it was created through him, by him, and for him. And look at the text. He even holds it all together. Sometimes when you read Revelation, it talks about in the end times. And how can all that kind of stuff happen? Easy. Because he holds it all together. And if he holds it all together, that also means he can unhold it together. Hey, folks, again, are you with me on how this just blows your mind out? The little baby created it all. It was created through him, by him, for him, and he holds it all together. That's what's wrapped up in that manger. Man, that's power. That's radical power. He's the redeemer. He's the image. He's the first overall. He's the creator. Fifth, he's the head. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, one of the most profound metaphors that's used for God's people in the Bible is called the body. What a cool metaphor. I mean, it's alive. It's moving. The church contained of, of all who have truly been saved in Jesus Christ are a part of that body. It's a uniquely unified living organism and organization, if you will. It's contained of millions and millions of people over all the time of humanity. But yet you take the head off, and it's just like a, a blob of mass. It can't walk. It can't do anything. It's just a blob. But you put the head on, the whole thing, Listen, there's no organization on the planet or ever has been on the planet that is as large as the body of Christ, and he's the head of the biggest organization ever to have been. He is the head of the most powerful uh, 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 living organism that has ever been on the face of the earth. He is the head of that. He is not only the overall creator, but he is the head of the body of Christ. That's power. And then sixth and lastly, uh, verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the preeminent one. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to be reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, by the way, do you see why... Paul put in there, peace by the blood of the cross, fully, sufficiently, don't need any more than that. 
because of the heresy that was going on in the day. He's the preeminent one. He's the beginning. He's the originator. Now, verse 18, it has that word prototokos again, firstborn. Of all that have been raised from the dead, uh, there were others raised from the dead before Christ. Um, Lazarus. But he's the one overall. He ranks above them all, is the point of the text here. He is the one over all that have been raised from the dead. He is the preeminent one. He's above all. He's superior. All the fullness of God dwells in him. He reconciles all to him, making peace through his sacrifice. Listen, all of that is what is wrapped up in the gift at Christmas. You know, the little plastic molded outdoor things, which is really cool. I fear that we miss verse 9, 10, and 11, and 12. Saturated to the point. We just go, that's cute. Even for ones who have been redeemed in Christ, we go, I'm so grateful for that. And yet sometimes it just gets to where we lose the sense of the massive, radical power of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, doing for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. I'm just going to tell you, I can't fully comprehend that power. But here's what we're called to do, and I don't want to do it again because I'm going to get more wet, but is saturated in that. Why? Not just so that we sit back and go, Wow, whoa, if we just continue to sit back and go, God is big, a statement we make around here often. And if we just stay stuck there, we're not living out what Paul called us to do. That big God reality should change your life in every capacity, not just your salvation capacity. saturated in God's truth. Uh, listen, I'm not talking about acknowledging data about Christ. I'm not talking about acknowledging the various viewpoints that are out there about Christ. I'm not talking about appreciating the morality of Jesus Christ. It's not about carrying on the family belief heritage that you grew up in. It's not about dabbling in the spiritual things. But it's about being someone that is so saturated in the Word of God, where it's just filling me, filling me, filling me, and oozing out. But listen, it can't be left there. It's got to be taken there and applied to life. Hey, listen, these six things that we look at, we can go, yeah, that's good, that's good. I like that, I like that. But here's the question. Monday, if you're working this week, when you go into work this week, do those six things radicalize your thinking on how you do work this week? They should. The fact when you're dealing with a customer, when you're dealing with your boss, when you're dealing with your employees, is the fact that he is the preeminent creator, redeemer, full power of God, active, does that impact how you associate with other people? It should. Does that impact how you think when you're feeling down and depressed? Does that impact how you uh, react when you're getting angry and mad? Does that impact how you just go out and walk and how you give gifts and how you talk, how you sing, how you 
if you have this week off? I'm struggling with bitterness. No, just kidding. If you have this week off, is the redeeming power of the image of God, the creator of all things, the sovereign one over all, is the sufficient word of God being lived out while you're at home this week on vacation? Is it? Listen, if there's a disconnect there, that's what Paul is praying, that that disconnect would get closer and less and less and less so that the known knowledge is shown in the lived reality. Hey, how do you know if you're a saturated person in the knowledge of God? It's really easy. Look at your life. Does it show it? Just look at your life. Does it show it? Is the word of God oozing out in how you handle things, say things, think things, process things, react to things? I don't want to do that. I understand sometimes, but listen, he's the redeeming power. He's, God has just snapped me over. I'm the son of the kingdom. I'm a daughter of the kingdom. My goodness, I get to live for him. And it oozes out into life, into every avenue that happens, all the way from how I wake up to how I eat, to how I walk, to how I talk, to how I think, to how I sleep, to how I cuddle with my wife. And I'm dead serious about that. Knowledge. Life lived. Paul is praying that those would be together and that this would overflow in every area of your thinking and life. That's the baby. That's the baby. I have a hard time transferring the image of a baby into all that Paul just said. Do you? Let's just be straight up. I have a hard time bringing that together. But you know what? By faith. It's true. That baby boy And he came and did for me and you what we could not do for ourselves so that every avenue of our life would be different. Let's adore him for that this Christmas. And if you don't know him as your savior, like last week, hey, listen, ask someone who brought you or ask someone down here who's gonna be down at the end. Listen, pastor, friend, I don't even know you, but I need to be saved or I need help. Because I am saved, but I'm not saturating myself. Help me saturate. Help me live it out. Hey, may Christmas be lived out in our lives. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Oh, your patience. Oh, your marvelousness. We adore you. Really, we adore you. Yet even when I say that, I also struggle to grasp you. But at the same time, while at times that can get discouraging, at the same time, I'm so glad I can't fully grasp you. 
because that means there's more to be grasped of you. Oh, Lord, I pray that even if the one thing this morning that would stick out would be the illustration of that sponge diving in to your word, that we would just dive into the living water of you. And that, Lord, we would just start, maybe it's start reading the gospel of John or one of the gospels. Oh, God, I pray that we would be people that are growing as Paul is praying for, that we would be people that are growing to capacity. And God, it may be this morning that we literally are looking at ourselves and saying, frankly, I'm more like the dabbled person. I'm not saturated. And so as a result, I'm not seeing the change in my life. Oh God, I pray we would dive in. I pray even if we were a quarter full or half full, we'd press on endurance that we would show you, the Redeemer, the Creator, the image, the firstborn, the Savior, the Creator, and the one that's returning. Ah, oh, thank you for the birth and the radical power of it in Christ's name. Oh, that has a lot of power right there. In the name of Christ is the reason that we pray and the source of the power of prayer. In the name of Christ.